Thank you, Susan, for sharing. God bless you. That's a great message. Thank you, choir. Thank you, singers, instrumentalists. God bless you today for your good singing. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open to Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Philippians 4, 4, 5, and 6. Continuing our series on maintaining your joy. And today we'll see practicing the three B's is one of the ways that we can maintain our joy. Tonight, the three A's. B's before A's, right? Well, that's the way it happens. If we keep these commands, our joy will increase, period. Notice what they are, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your King James moderation, New American Standard, forbearing spirit, it's your willingness to be gentle and defer the decision to someone else, to not have to have your way. Let that spirit be known to all people, all men. And how can we do that? By remembering the Lord is near. Here's a good one. You might need this one. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Paraphrase Stop worrying. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If we follow these three B's, we will have greater joy. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the believer here today watching online in the Life Center here in the sanctuary that needs to increase their joy, that they would be encouraged to Obey these three commands that Paul left for the Philippian believers. Thank you, God, that joy is available, but it's based on thinking about what we have in Christ. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. A recent, recent Gallup poll shared something that most of us already know. Most Americans are unhappy. 38% of Americans in a recent poll said they're happy. 62% said they're unhappy. That's most Americans are unhappy. And my guess is for most believers sitting in churches across America, most of those in church today are unhappy. Matter of fact, they're more unhappy now than they were during the COVID pandemic. 41% of Americans said they were happy then. 59% were not. There's less happy people now than a year ago. Now, why is that? Well, let me just share three quick headlines that might give you some idea. U.S. government stockpiling anti-radiation drugs after Putin nuclear threat. Oh, Satanic Temple files lawsuit over Idaho over abortion ban, claiming it prevents members from practicing abortion ritual, meaning we can't kill people like we want to according to our religion. So we'll sue. I guess they want to kill people as part of their religious expression. U.S. coal prices soar above $200 amid energy crunch. Bottom line and other headlines about the price of gas going back up, these things tell us that Americans are afraid, they're pressed financially, and they are not happy. Now, maybe this morning you'd have to admit you're afraid, pressed financially, and not very happy or joyful. And you'd like the joy that you had in years gone by to return to you today. It can Happiness comes when you have joy and when you understand these three truths. 
and focus on obeying these three verses in what Paul told the Philippians to do. And keep in mind, he was shackled and imprisoned when he wrote these three commands. Years ago, a lady, Dr. Priscilla Slagle, wrote a book called The Way Up From Down. It's about overcoming depression and unhappiness. And according to Dr. Slagle, the single most effective way to overcome depression and unhappiness is by taking vitamins and supplements and amino acids. Now, I'm not opposed to vitamins, minerals, and amino acids, but I don't think those things alone are going to increase your joy. Vern Weaver started lifting weights and taking vitamins, minerals, and amino acids when he was 16 years of age. In a few years, he was Mr. America, the envy of the whole nation. In fact, not only was he strong and ripped with a tremendous physique, he was fast. He could run the 100-yard dash in 10.3 seconds, and that's pretty amazing for a big muscle-bound guy. He said, training was the big thing in my life. As soon as I'd get home from high school, I'd go down to the cellar for a few hours to lift weights. My family thought I was crazy, and they didn't know why I had to train. And I think the reason he felt like he had to train is because he was unhappy. Despite being Mr. America, he told Health Magazine, I feel lost in life, and I want to belong somewhere. He tried to become an actor. That didn't work. He wrote lots of articles for Muscle Magazine, giving tips on vitamins, minerals, and amino acids. Still an unhappy man. So unhappy, tragically, one day he walked to a state park in Pennsylvania and ended his life with a handgun in 1993. What a person needs to be happy is not vitamins, minerals, and amino acids. What they need to do is practice the three attitudes we find in these verses. And had the two women in this, in this section, 4, 1, and 2, having a conflict in the Philippian church about something each one wanted and the other one had, had they practiced this, the conflict would have ended and they would not have been unhappy and the church wouldn't have been having a conflict. So what's better than vitamins, minerals, and amino acids? Well, here's how you can turn unhappiness into joy. Three commands. Notice what they are. Number one, be cheerful. Be cheerful. Easier said than done, but notice how we can do it. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. The verb rejoice is in the imperative mood, telling us it's a command, not an option. We should rejoice. Whether you feel like it or want to or not, rejoice. The present tense here tells us we ought to be continually rejoicing, not just when something good happens, or we get, get, get good news, or when circumstances are good, but we should be rejoicing all the time. The second person plural tells us it's for every believer to rejoice, not just for one or two. Everyone should be continually rejoicing. And how is it we can do that? The adverbial phrase, in the Lord, gives the answer. Rejoice in the sphere of God's blessings. Rejoice at the Lord's indwelling and all the blessings that belong to those who are in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always, and in case you missed it the first time, he said it again, and again I say rejoice. Not just when you get the new car, the new house, the new promotion, when the doctor gives you good news, but Christian, every one of us should be continually rejoicing all the time because of the blessings that are ours by virtue of our being in Christ. Think for a moment for all the Lord has done for you. 
all the blessings that await you and are yours, that you have. It's easy to forget about those and get depressed and unhappy and worried about the future. I came across a profound statement by a man named Alexander Pope that kind of summarizes the age in which we live. He said, amusement is the happiness of those who cannot think, end quote. Now, I'm not against amusement. I certainly enjoyed going with my son to Disney and Bush Gardens and Cedar Point when he was young. But I do think the amusement craze that consumes our culture stems from the fact that people no longer do any reading or thinking as we should be doing. And it's created a lack of focus, which means it'll be a struggle to rejoice in the Lord because that requires you to think about the blessings that are yours because you're in the Lord. I read a true story about a, a dear saint of God, 92 years old, Christian lady, legally blind, but in spite of her limitations, she was always neatly dressed, always had her hair carefully brushed, makeup tastefully applied. Each morning, she'd meet the new day with eagerness and gladness, even after her husband of 70 years died. In time, it became necessary for this dear saint of God to go in a nursing home where she could receive proper care. One day, as she moved in, a neighbor took her there, but found out her room was not ready, so she patiently waited in the lobby for several hours. When the attendant finally came for her, she smiled sweetly as she maneuvered her walker to get on the elevator. The staff member described her room to her, including the new curtains that had been hung on the windows. I love them, she told the staff member. Staff member said, Mrs. Jones, you haven't seen them. The attendant said that, uh, the lady said, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Here's what she said. Happiness is something you choose. Whether I like my room or not does not depend on how it's arranged, but how it's arranged in my mind. That's the same for us. Our ability to rejoice is all about how we arrange our thinking in our minds. As we think about who the Lord is and what he's done for us and what's ahead for us, and all the blessings we have in him, we're able to rejoice in the Lord always. Somebody wrote when we're saved, we have 10 blessings that we should never forget and should give thanks for. And amazingly, these 10 blessings are sung to the tune of the acrostic, give thanks. If you want to write these 10 words down, might be something you'll need at some point. Give thanks. The G of give thanks stands for God's grace. Everything in our lives is because of God's grace and salvation. Think about that and rejoice. The T of give thanks, excuse me, the I, G-I of give thanks is instruction. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us and guides us, we can trust Psalm 32, 8, where God said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou should go. The V of give thanks stands for verses the verses of God's Word that we can read and comprehend so we can know how to live and what to do. The E of give thanks stands for eternal life. Titus 1-2, we have this hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. See, friend, heaven is real, and that should cause us joy. The T of give thanks is truth. Not only is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, his word is true, and we can trust it. The H of give thanks, T-H, now G-I-V-E-T-H, stands for help. Not only will the Holy Spirit of God help us understand God's word, but he will help us grow in our faith. The A of give thanks, T-H-A, stands for access. 
Faith in Jesus gives us access to God, the God of the universe, and unlimited 24-7 access to the throne of grace. The end of give thanks stands for newness of life, and that's what we have in Christ. If any man is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. The K of give thanks stands for knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of his truth, knowledge of theology, the understanding of the Old Testament types and symbols we find. And finally, the S of give thanks stands for sanctification. Give thanks that God is causing us to be more like Jesus in all that we do. Give thanks that he who began a good work in us shall complete it and perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Give thanks, grace, instruction, verses, eternal life, truth, help, access, newness of life, and knowledge and sanctification. Those are good reasons to give thanks. But you know what, friends? We need to choose to be cheerful. Happiness is a choice. It's a choice based on an understanding of what we have in Christ. Hence the command, rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in your possessions, rejoice in your job, rejoice in your standing, status, achievement. No, rejoice in the sphere of the Lord. Headlines are giving us some bad news right now. There's no doubt about it. One headline from yesterday said, inflation is forcing people to use up their savings and a bad sign for the economy. Ugh. National Grid unveils a plan for three-hour blackouts the winter to tackle gas shortage. Ugh. Ugh. And finally, Colorado Town installs robots to track citizens via their license plates. Ugh, ugh, ugh. The good news of what it means to be in Christ, however, remains good news. Praise God. And it's good news that ought to keep us cheerful as we choose to be cheerful, and that's 95% of it. Choosing to be cheerful based on the facts and the truth of what it means to be in the Lord. Now, it's hard to be cheerful if you don't have good reason to be cheerful. But if you're a Christian, you're in the Lord. Let me say, you have good reason to be cheerful. Thus the command, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If you're not in the Lord, not much reason to rejoice. If you're in the Lord, there's good reason to rejoice. So remember, not just the command to be cheerful, but the reasons we have to be cheerful and the frequency with which we ought to be rejoicing always. Number two, maintain your joy by being courteous. Choose to be cheerful, choose to be courteous, nice to other people. Verse five, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. The word forbearing means gentle, reasonable, having a calm demeanor. Here's the idea of being courteous to other people. Which had Euodia and Syntyche practiced this very thing, they wouldn't have been had the conflict they were having, and the church at Philippi would not have been in turmoil. We should be gentle with others, yielding, giving them first option. You go ahead. After you. And why is it we should be this way? It's because the Lord is near and his coming is at hand. Paul believed that. He lived with that hope in his lifetime. And if he lived with it in his lifetime, imagine how much nearer Christ's return must be right now. The Bible tells us to esteem others better than ourselves and look every man not to his own things, but everyone to the interests of others. In 1994, the running back Thurman Thomas for the Buffalo Bills covered his face in dejection as he sat on the bench following the team's fourth straight Super Bowl loss. His three fumbles sealed the awful fate of the team. 
Well, suddenly standing before him after the game was over was Cowboy star running back Emmett Smith. Smith had been named MVP for the Super Bowl 28, and he was carrying in his arm his little daughter with him. He looked at his daughter and he said, as he pointed down to Thurman Thomas, I want you to meet the greatest running back in the NFL, Thurman Thomas. Friend, that's the attitude we need to make us joyful, to maintain joy. And we do it because the Lord's coming is near. His coming is at hand. So we ought to be humble and gentle and forbearing and patient and not quick to rip somebody's head off. The same attitude Jesus had. We put up with the same things he put up with. Someone has said in the Christian life, we must give to obtain, be last to be first, be humble to be exalted, be least to be greatest, and die to live. But that kind of selflessness can only happen as we are in the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, against which there is no law. The key phrase in verse 5, the motivating phrase, of course, is that last phrase, the Lord is at hand, his coming is near. And that should motivate us to forbear our circumstances and cause us to be gentle and selfless and humble. As we focus on others and not ourselves, we have the promise of greater joy. As Glenn Campbell used to sing, a little more of others and a little less of me. Got to try a little kindness, show a little kindness, shine your light for everyone to see. And when we shine a little kindness, we'll overlook the blindness of the narrow-minded people and their narrow-minded see. Yeah, I forgot the last word. That wasn't in the sermon. It just came to me. That's why I write my stuff out so I don't forget stuff. I love the story about the mom who was making pancakes for three boys, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three, and the boys began to argue over who's getting the first pancake. And the mother saw this as a teachable moment, an opportunity to teach a Christian message. She said, boys, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I will wait. So Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. Attitude. That's the attitude of Euodia and Syntyche. We don't know much about these ladies. We only know they wanted the same thing. We don't know what it was. We're not told what it was. But it was something that affected their harmony, their relationship, and the harmony of the whole church. What they should have done, they didn't do, at least until Paul commanded them, let their forbearing spirit be made known to all. Have a deferential, you go ahead first. We'll do it your way. We'll try what you want to do first. I'll be Jesus, and you go first. And why should we act that way? We should act that way because the Lord is near. His coming is any moment. You know, it's hard to believe, but the shopping day called Black Friday is only seven weeks and five days away. Seven weeks, five days away. Did you know Christmas is 11 weeks from right now? Yeah, it's on a Sunday, 11 weeks from right now, and you've done all your Christmas shopping, right? <laughs> yeah. In seven weeks and five days, the big box stores will run their Black Friday doorbuster sales, and people, as they always do, will line up at the doors in the middle of the night with their chairs so they won't lose their place in line. 
The hottest toys this year for kids are expected to be the Jetson Bolt Folding Electric Bike for Boys. The little bicycle, it's electric. And then the Barbie Dream Camper for girls is supposed to be number one hottest gift for girls. Can you imagine if the big box store had 25 of each at half price on Black Friday? And you're at the front of the line. You got there at 3 a.m. And boom, the door opens. Don't trample over the lady that opened the door. And you run for the Jetson Bolt electric bike and you grab one. And then you run for the Barbie Dream Camper and you grab one and you're standing in line to pay for it and you're so happy, but you see a little guy being led by his daddy out the door crying because he didn't get one. You see a little girl crying with her parents. She didn't get one of those Dream Campers. She wanted one. Now here's a question. Think about it. It has huge implications. If you knew the Lord was coming back that night, what would you do? And let me warn you, it's a two-part answer. Number one, you would give them yours here. And number two, talk to them about Jesus. In other words, you say, here, you can have mine, but let me tell you why I'm doing this. Say, what if if he's not coming back that night? I think you still probably ought to give it to him. My grandkids will see. Yeah, I still would. Buy something else. To maintain joy, we need that courteous, generous attitude that comes from knowing the Lord's return is near. I keep thinking about the two guys. True story. Two guys got in a fist fight at the Mulberry Walmart over the last flat of water before the hurricane. This is a true story. Had to take him to jail. Had they believed the Lord was coming back that night, they would they have fought over that last flat of water? No. No, I don't think so. You know, what's ironic about the whole thing is that the hurricane didn't even cause people to be without water. I mean, if you had power that worked on a well, I guess so, but... I guarantee you the two guys that were in a fist fight in the water department of Walmart at Mulberry over the last flat of water, I guarantee you neither one of them had a well. I just have a feeling they didn't have a well. It's because they wanted what they wanted what they wanted. How much different would we act or behave if we really believed that Jesus would come back today? How should these two women have acted if they really believed the return of the Lord was imminent and could have happened that very day? Friend, if we want to maintain our joy, we have to choose to be cheerful. You've got to choose it. And you've got to choose to be courteous and nice to other people. Be nice. Sometimes we're the only Jesus people see. You've heard that. And that's true. And number three, oh, you need this one. Here it comes. Here it comes. We ought to choose to be confident. How do we do that? Verse six, be anxious for nothing. Paraphrase, stop worrying. But in everything, 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 by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about worry. He said, take no thought for your life, for your life. What you shall eat and what you shall drink and what you should wear and what you drive. He didn't say what you drive, but you could just add that. Is not the life more than clothing and food and drink and the things for which we worry? Don't worry about what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And worrying's not going to help with tomorrow anyway. How many people there are who always imagine the worst possible outcome and live in constant fear something bad's going to happen and they worry about failure and loss of possessions and illness and children and bills and death and always worrying about something. Jesus said, don't worry and be anxious. Instead, pray for everything. 
You know, we sing that hymn, Are We Weak and Heavy Laden, Cumbered with a Load of Care? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord of Prayer. And then we close the hymn, we'll think about, Oh no, I just forgot something about something I need to worry about. You know, rather than worry about it, pray about it. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. How awful to go through this life and think God doesn't hear us and can't help us. Jesus said, look at the birds. God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. He provides for the lilies of the field. He'll take care of you. One writer wrote it this way. said, the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. said, the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. He provided a lamb to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. And if Abraham, who was limited in knowledge of God, could trust the Lord, how much we who have the full canon of Scripture know Christ and know him through his written word. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear and worry of man brings a snare. But whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Why worry when you can pray? Vance Havner said, worry's like a rocking chair. Give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. It's impossible to trust God and worry at the same time. I know, I've tried. Can't do it at the same time. Yes, God expects us to work and pray and do our best, but God does not expect us to worry after we've worked and prayed. Let me reverse that. Prayed and worked and done our best. The Bible is filled with many examples of answered prayer. And my guess is we can look back and see times where God has answered many prayers for us in the past. If he's answered them in the past, he'll answer in the future in accordance with his perfect plan and will. We have to believe he hears us and that he will answer. It's impossible to be joyful and worried at the same time. It's impossible to pray about something and be worried at the same time, really, if you think about it, if we're really trusting the Lord. Even if, some, even if something bad happens as we perceive it to be bad, we ought to still trust that God has a plan. We often forget about the little things that grow to become big things. Did you know the old Anglo-Saxon word for worry gives us our English word strangle? <laughs> Just so you'll know. Worry strangles our joy. It keeps us from being confident God hears and answers our prayers. So I want to close with this thought this morning. Right now, the vast majority of Americans are unhappy. The vast majority of people at church this morning throughout America are unhappy. 62%. That's most of Americans who told Gallup. That's just the ones that admitted it said they're unhappy. Never have so many people in history been unhappy in America. Never as right now. But we can choose to be joyful. How's that? By acting on these three B's. Choose to be cheerful. Choose to be courteous, kind. And choose to be confident God hears. And he will answer some way or another. He will answer. If we do this, we'll have greater joy. And we will be radically different from the rest of the people in America. And I think that's a good thing. Let's pray. Father, I pray for that person that's battling unhappiness, depression. 
worry. I pray you'll help them, God, intervene and meet their needs. God, provide the answer to the prayers that you know they need most. And God, let us not forget that you who began a good work in us will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus, that you are building in our lives. And we thank you and praise you just for that. If there's one here this morning, Lord, that has a spiritual need, a need to be saved, a need to rededicate their life to you, a need to follow through in believers' baptism by immersion, a need for a church home, I pray, Lord, as we stand and sing that you will have thine own way. Thank you, God, for your work in our world and your work in our hearts. And God, help us as we live as if we really believe you could come back at any moment. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Invitational hymn is 294, Have Thine Own Way. And we'll sing this hymn, and then we'll have the ordinance of the Lord's Supper as we have communion together. Let's stand and sing. If you're here this morning, you have a prayer need, I would be thrilled to talk and pray with you. Come on right now. sing one more verse if you need to come come on right now Thank you. 